this morning as we, um, as we continue and we uh, dig into um, the Word of God, um, I want us to look at something that, that God is teaching me, um, something that He's laid on my heart to share. Um, so we're, gonna, we're just going to look at a few passages. We're going to hone in really on just one phrase. Uh, And then we're going to see how that applies to us. So if you would, take your Bibles. If you don't have one, uh, there's one. There should be one in the pew back in front of you. Take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Hosea. To the book of Hosea, chapter 6. Hosea is right after the book of Daniel in the Old Testament and right before the book of Joel. Hosea chapter 6, we're just going to read three verses to start this morning. In chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 4. And this is um, the Lord speaking, and he says, O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and the early dew, and as the early dew, it goeth away. Therefore I have hewed them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. So to help us understand what what God is is saying here, I want to give us a little bit of context of of where Israel is at uh, in this point of time, where they're at in their history and um, within the the context of the book of Hosea, Israel um, had gotten into this habit where they would offer sacrifices to God, but also worship other gods. Uh, So they hadn't completely forsaken God, they were offering sacrifices, but they were also going over and, and worshiping other gods, and uh, in chapter 5, God even speaks to them, and and there's this discussion about the difference between knowing about God and really actually knowing God and knowing who he is, and and God says that, that Israel had forsaken the pursuit of knowing who God was. So they were, they were offering sacrifices, they were doing things, but they had stopped caring about really knowing the God that delivered them and that saved them. And in the beginning of chapter 6, in these first three verses, Hosea, the prophet, um, he leads Israel in a prayer of repentance, not really because Israel feels the need for repentance, but because Hosea says, hey, we, we've got to come back to the Lord. We've, we've got to come back. And so he leads them in this prayer, and verses 4 through 6 are actually the beginning of God's response to Israel. Um, we see at the beginning of verse 4, he speaks to uh, Ephraim, which is a reference to the northern kingdom, and Judah, which is a reference to the southern kingdom. And so he, he's speaking to all of Israel. Uh, and he gets to the point where he actually compares their love and their loyalty um, you see it there at the end of the verse. He, he compares it to the dew on the ground, so that, that wet, sticky stuff that's on the ground when you wake up 
in the morning. He, he compares their love to the dew, essentially saying it's there for a brief time, and then it's gone. Their love for the Lord was there for a brief time, and then it was gone. Uh, so some people have, have ultimately said uh, that at this point, Israel had gotten really good at sacrifice, but they were really, really bad at love. Uh, and the reality is that technically, they obeyed the law. They did the sacrifices. They continued the traditions. They, in, a, in an on-paper sense, they obeyed the law, but they didn't really know God or even show him any love. And so all of this, all of the, the kind of the, the double dipping, the worshiping multiple gods, all of the, the, the love like the dew that, that goes away, all of the, the back and forth, and, and, and all of that leads to God using uh, what is our main phrase for this morning in verse 6, where he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And in this verse, in Hosea, the, the word that's translated as mercy um, actually means uh, affection, loyalty, and love. So not mercy like we might typically think it, but it means affection, loyalty, or love. And the word sacrifice, uh, more than just Again, what we might think, it means an offering or an official sacrifice, but the kicker is right there at the end, that's prescribed by God. So it's not just any random sacrifice. It's, it's not whatever you might think or whatever you might want to do. It's, it's saying a sacrifice that is specifically given by God to complete. So knowing these things, we, we could say that the phrase actually means that God cared more about Israel's affection for him and their loyalty to him than he did about them completing all the tasks that he had given them to do in the law. God cared more about Israel's affection for him and their loyalty to him than he did them completing all those things that he had actually given them to do in the law. And in addition to Hosea, this phrase, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, it actually uh, shows up two more times in Scripture. And both of them are in the book of Matthew in the New Testament. They're used by Jesus. But Jesus actually expands the phrase's meaning a little bit. He changes a word that we'll see here in just a second uh, and expands what this, what this means. Uh, so the context of both of those in Matthew uh, both times, Pharisees have come and they're questioning Jesus because they have caught him doing something that they thought was unlawful, which is an interesting position uh, because we know Jesus is perfect and, and he lived a perfect life. And so they think it's unlawful and, and they're trying to point the finger at Jesus and the people that he is with. So the first time it's used is in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13. And the context of that, uh, Jesus is eating with sinners. He's eating with sinners at Matthew's house. Matthew, the tax collector, who becomes Matthew, the disciple. He's just been called by Jesus, and they have a dinner party at Matthew's house. And Matthew's friends come, other tax collectors and other sinners, and they're eating, and Pharisees happen to walk by and see it. 
and point the finger at Jesus. And he uses that phrase here. And then he uses it again in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 7. And at this point, the Pharisees are are questioning him and and pointing the finger because they believe that he has violated the Sabbath. Um, Jesus' disciples are hungry. They're walking through a grain field, and Jesus allows them to pick grain and eat it. Um, And the Pharisees catch him saying that they've they've violated the Sabbath, and, and why would they do such a thing? But in both of these instances, like we said earlier, Jesus actually uses a different word for mercy Uh, Then we find in Hosea. So here in Matthew, uh, the word translated as mercy actually does mean what we typically come to think of it as. It actually does mean compassion. Uh, But it's not just any compassion. It's not the compassion of God. Uh, The way Jesus phrases this word, he actually means the compassion of men toward other men. So really what Jesus is saying is that more than carrying out every command of judgment and justice or or even service with others, more than all those things, God cares about people showing compassion to other people. Because in both of those instances, the Pharisees are pointing the finger, they're they're condemning the people that Jesus is with, and, and Jesus says, If you knew what this meant, or in Matthew 9, he tells them, go and learn what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. If you knew what this meant, you would not have condemned the innocent. So both of these times, he uses it as a a counter for their condemnation. So he expands and says that more more than all those things, God cares about people showing compassion to other people. And I believe for us this morning, the principles are pretty clear. First, more than the things you can or even should do for God, he just wants you. God just wants you. And second, more than making sure that other people act right, God wants us to show compassion to other people. Now those things don't mean that Uh, that our actions don't matter or that God doesn't care about them, that we can just run around willy-nilly doing whatever we want. Um, God does care about right and wrong. And he actually, in his word, has given us guidelines of how we should act. They're just not the main point of our life with Jesus. Pastor said last week that the Christian life isn't about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about living in accordance with that which we love. And God clearly says that he wants us to love him above all else. More than those things that we can do, more than those tasks that we can complete that he has even given us to do, more than what we can gain from him or gain by serving other people. Because there's a whole list of things that we really could do, right? We could spend time reading our Bible, praying, giving, uh, being kind to other people, coming to services, uh, being generous, serving other people, uh, sharing our faith, making disciples, right? All of these things are important. And we're commanded to do every single one of those things in God's word. But it's possible to do all of those things without actually having a love for God. Those things can and 
sometimes do become like our sacrifice in Hosea, those things that we do because we've always done them and not because we have a love for the Lord. And God says that he desires mercy and not sacrifice. He desires our affection and our loyalty to him, and he desires our compassion towards other people. So we know those things, but, but the big question is, how, how, do, how do we love God? How do we love other people without it becoming a ritual? Um, I think the, the most simple, boiled-down answer can be found in this quote that has really started to shape and change the way I walk with Jesus and in turn shape and change really my entire life. Um, this quote is from Matt Chandler. He's a pastor of the Village Church in Texas, and he says that we can't do life for Jesus without first living life with Jesus. We can't do life for Jesus without first living life with Jesus. And so to keep things from becoming just a sacrifice, to keep things from being just empty and just what we do, we have to be with Jesus. We have to behold his glory. I want to read um, 2 Corinthians uh, 3.18 for us. If you want, you can turn there. Uh, it'll be on the screen. I'm going to read it from the CSB because I think it, it, phrases it, uh, it, it phrases it well. But the Bible says, We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Guys, if you'll keep that up, I'm going to read this one more time. I just I want it to sink in. I want us to really dig in and, and try and understand what this means for us this morning. It says, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So really what this passage is saying is that we are transformed by beholding the glory of God. And beholding his glory simply means that we, that we look for his character. We, we look to see how God works and who God is. We look to see his attributes, those, those things like his mercy and his faithfulness. We look for the gospel, the gospel message that we're weak and we can't do anything to save ourselves, but that Jesus loved us so much that he came died in our place and rose again, right? We look for those things. We behold his glory. And this verse seems to imply the idea of looking in a mirror um, that the more we behold his glory, the more we are transformed. Right? By beholding his glory, we get transformed into the image of, of God's Son into the image of Jesus. And the more that we sit and behold His glory, the more that we sit with Jesus, the more we're transformed into His image. 
we do those things, we, we be with him, we behold his glory, we look for those things, we look for his character and his attributes and, and for the gospel in his word. We do it by being in the word of God. But there's, uh, there's an analogy I, I think will help maybe make this uh, make sense of what I really mean uh, a little bit more. There's a, uh, there's a, a popular movie and book franchise. Some of you have probably heard of it. You may have read the books. You might have seen the movie. Some of you, I might say the name, and you'll think I'm crazy and have no clue what I'm talking about. Um, but there's this franchise called The Lord of the Rings. 50-50. Uh, Essentially, if you don't know what it is, it, big overview, it's another story about good versus evil. At its base, it's good versus evil. There's a bad guy and his people, and there's some good guys, and good is trying to triumph, and evil is trying to triumph. It's good and evil. Um, but a little more specific to Lord of the Rings, um, kind of a central aspect of the storyline is that, uh, also, before I go any further, uh, this analogy definitely breaks down at some point. Like, please don't come up, come up to me after service or send me an email or call the office and say, well, you know, this falls apart here. I know it does. It, it will definitely fall apart, uh, but there's some similarities. Bear with me. There's a place that we're going. Uh, so in in the more specifics of the Lord of the Rings uh, is, is actually, big surprise, a ring. Hence the title. Uh, there is a ring that the bad guy wants and the good guys have. And the whole crux of the story is the bad guy's trying to get the ring. This is where the analogy breaks down a little bit from where we're going. And the good guys are trying to destroy the ring. And we see as you watch the movie, and, and maybe if, uh, if you've read the books, you, you start to see a difference, um, or, or you, you start to see the way that the ring starts to affect people. Right? It, it begins to create this desire and this treasuring and, and even this obsession. But there's a difference in the, the intensity of those effects in people who are just around the ring and the main character who actually wears it and who has it on. And the difference, there's people who are around it and some of them, uh, some of them it affects really mildly. Some don't get affected at all. But they're around it and it has mild effects um, but nothing too major. But for the main character... Uh, throughout the, the trilogy of movies, he's either wearing it... Oh, sorry, I forgot my mic was there. He's either wearing it as a necklace. Uh, he's wearing it on a necklace chain, or he sometimes even puts it on. For the main character, it is very clear and easy to see the change that happens in him because he has the ring on. You, you start to see the effect, and those effects are fast, and they are heavy to the point where some of the other characters who are simply around it are confused why he's acting the way he's acting. Because they don't understand because they're just around it. I think there are similarities with God's word. Now, the difference is 
in Lord of the Rings, the ring is a power for evil, and we're trying to destroy it. And in our lives, God's word is the only source of truth and the only good thing, and it will last forever. No matter what, that's where the analogy snaps. But I think there's still some similarities in the fact that we can come to God's word for so many different reasons. Right? We might, we might come and we might sit and read God's word because we feel guilty that we haven't made Jesus a bigger priority in our lives. So we sit because we feel guilty and like he might be mad at us. And so I've, I've got to go spend time just to kind of appease Jesus. Or maybe you come and you read God's word because you feel some shame over some sin that you've committed. Maybe you read God's word simply because you hope it will make you look better to other people or because you want other people to see you or because you might think it's the right thing to do. It's what a good Christian ought to do, so I want people to think of me as a good Christian. So you might come that way. You might, uh, like I've shared in my own personal life, you might struggle with coming to God's word simply to learn things. You come for the sake of knowledge. I want to learn more. I want to store it away. And, and that's it. I've learned six new facts. Great, I can close my Bible. I'm done. Or maybe, uh, maybe you come to God's word because you need some encouragement. Right? You're going into what you know is going to be a rough day, and so you want your fill of some positive thinking. So you come to God's word to store up on those positive phrases or anecdotes that you might recall throughout the day to, to help you have not such a bad day. Or maybe you come out of a sense of duty, because maybe you're a leader here or uh, in your home or in your workplace, and you feel like, well, I'm expected to. Uh, I have to because I'm in charge, so I might as well go read God's word today. Whatever reason, right, we can come to God's word for so many different reasons and still miss Jesus. It's possible to come to God's word and completely miss out on transformation. That's the equivalent of, of being around the ring. We might learn some things, we might pick up some helpful tips. But if all we ever do is, is we just get around God's word, there is no transformation that's taking place within us. The opposite, the answer though, I believe is to come to God's word just because we want him. That's the equivalent of wearing the ring. We put it on. Because like we said earlier, the more that we are in his word simply because we want him, the more we're transformed because our minds are set on Jesus alone. We're focused on beholding his glory and not just looking for answers to our problems. And the more time we spend in his word just because we want him, it begins to create this desire and a treasuring or even an obsession for more of him. And I know it's hard to explain what that looks like or, or what happens as those things go. And it might be hard to understand, um, but I can just tell you from my own life that there are times where I've struggled and I, and I have gone to the word for knowledge. 
I've gone because I needed an answer to a problem and nothing really got better. And then there are other times when I've gone to the word because I want more of Jesus. And I can just start to see, not just in my heart and in the way I work, but, but things start transforming around me. The problems that I have with myself become small because I'm looking at Jesus. The things that I am bad at as a husband start to diminish and go away because Jesus is taking over. Right? And it takes faith to live that way. It takes faith to look at his word and say, all right, I'm not going to look for answers. I'm not going to come because I have to. I'm not going to come because I want to look good. God, I just, I just want you. It takes faith to come and say, I want you. and I'll let you do whatever you want in your time, and I trust you. It takes some serious faith to live that way. And it really takes a, like a major mindset shift. But that shift is one that, quite honestly, you and I can't produce on our own. We need God to work that in us. In John chapter 15, in verse 5, Jesus is speaking to his disciples at the Last Supper, the evening before he's crucified, and he tells them something that's just as true for us today as it was for them then. Um, he says, you see it right there at the end of the verse, that we can do nothing without Jesus. Nothing. It means we can't change our mindset. We can't sit and behold his glory. We can't do any of those things without Jesus. Pastor, uh, last week, I thought gave us a, a really, really good outline of how to cultivate or develop a delight for God's word. And I think that it works well for what we're focusing on today. Um, so as we look to uh, be with Jesus and we try to behold his glory, I'm just going to reuse his same four points because I think the outline works well. So first, last week, he said it, and the first thing I'm going to tell you today is to change your diet. I, uh, I heard a pastor one time, he, he shared an analogy. He was talking about uh, a Thanksgiving dinner, right? And, and I'm sure lots of us have been to this type of Thanksgiving dinner where we know we're going somewhere, and there is a lot of food waiting for us. More food than we will be able to eat. More food than any human should ever eat. But there's all this food waiting. And this pastor said, no one in their right mind, no one in their right mind knowing that they were going to this type of dinner where there's so much good food that's been prepared, so much that they get to enjoy, would before going to that dinner sit down at their home and eat an entire loaf of white bread. No one would do that. Because, A, gross. It's gross. But what happens is, now you're not hungry. 
So you're walking into a Thanksgiving dinner where food has been prepared for you, such good meal has been laid out before you and is literally there for you to just grab whatever you want, and you're not hungry. You have zero appetite because you're too stuffed. You filled yourself with something else, and now all of that, like the sight of more food, makes you sick. And I think sometimes that's what we do with the Word of God. I think we do that to ourselves. We stuff ourselves full of so many other things. We stuff ourselves full of entertainment. Whatever form of entertainment is entertaining to you. Maybe you stuff yourself full of work. Maybe you stuff yourself full of just trying to, you spend all your time trying to focus on making sure that every bit of what your family does just functions. You're just trying to keep your family going in one direction without falling into a million pieces. Or maybe you are so focused on the opinions of other people. Maybe you are so focused and you stuff yourself full of everything that's going on in the country around us. And you start looking for your information somewhere else and you start looking for validation from other people somewhere else. And you go get other people's opinions and, and, and you try and get as much knowledge like I do sometimes, and, and we just we stuff ourselves full of so many things that when we come to God's word, we have no appetite. We come and, and we have no desire for the word of God because we've gotten everything that we needed somewhere else. It's not everything you need, but that's how we trick ourselves. That's a lie Satan likes to tell you. We come and we have no desire, we have no appetite, and so reading God's word becomes just another ritual. It becomes a sacrifice like in Hosea, and it might even become a pain. But it's definitely not something that we delight in. So this morning, maybe, maybe you need to change your diet. Maybe you feel God like revealing things to you that maybe you need to start shaving away. in order so that you might long and hunger for the word of God the way that we are called to, the way that we are meant to, the way God designed us to. Second, we said pray for understanding. Just like Pastor said last week and just like we talked about just a second ago, we can't do this on our own. So just ask God for help. Scripture makes it very, very clear that he is a good father that wants good things for us. In Luke 11, Jesus is speaking to people and he, he uses this illustration. Um, he, he looks out at them and said, what fathers among you, if your child were to ask for a fish or an egg, would give them a snake or a scorpion instead? We know not to do that. That's horrible. And Jesus said, but you're evil. And your father is good. So how much better will your father in heaven take care of you? If we as earthly, sinful people know to be good, how much better does the one who is purely good know to be good to us? 
Now, that doesn't mean that, that we get everything that we ask for. Please don't run away and say, Colby said that, yay. That's, it doesn't mean we get everything that we ask for. But why would God deny us a hunger for him if it's the way he's designed us? He designed us to be in relationship and he wants relationship with us. So there's no way that he would deny us a hunger for him because he loves us. So just ask him. Ask for his help. Ask for his help in changing your mindset and beholding his glory. The last two points that the pastor said were memorize scripture and meditate on God's word. And this is where we really get into it. Um, so last week, pastor used the analogy of cows eating their food. He talked about that process and what that process looks like and, and ultimately got to the point where we said that we should be chewing on the word of God all day long. It's not something that we read and we, we tuck in and we set aside and say, okay, I'm going to go on my day. It's something that we, that we chew on throughout the day. If we want to use our analogy from earlier, wear the ring. Put it on. Get into God's word and, and let it shape you and mold you and transform you as you behold his glory, as you look at and gaze upon and just full on stare at the character of Jesus. As you look at how he works and you look for his goodness and his mercy and his faithfulness and his steadfastness, even those things you might not like, like his discipline for those that he loves. As you look for his love, his kindness. Get into God's word and as you look for those things, trust that by doing so, he will begin to transform you exactly like he said he would. This morning, maybe you find yourself to be like Israel or the Pharisees. Maybe you're focused on all the stuff. Focused on everything but being with Jesus. Maybe you feel the Spirit calling you to, to reshift your focus back to Him. Maybe you want to delight in God's word and you want to be with him and behold his glory, but you're not sure where to start. Come and ask him for help. Maybe you're not wearing the ring. Maybe you're not wearing the ring at all and you're not in God's word and you need to come and commit to doing so and to trusting that he will work in you. Or maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus at all. You know about him, but you don't know him. If that's the case, just come. Jesus came to restore the broken relationship between you and God. He didn't come to take your money. He didn't come to make you a worker bee and to get you to do things a certain way. He didn't come to take something from you. He came because he cared so much about you that he just wanted you with him. And I would love, I would love to show you 
how you can begin a relationship with him this morning. Wherever you're at, I want to invite you to respond by coming to Jesus and asking him to do what only he can and trust that he will work and he will move in his time. That's important. That he will work in his time because he desires mercy and not sacrifice. He just wants you. God, we love you so much. God, you are so wonderful. And God, we do not deserve the goodness that you extend to us. But God, as we, as we seek to, to follow you and, and to love you and, and give our affection to you, God, I pray that your, your spirit would begin to convict us. You would help us to, to know that, that we can't fool you and, and it's no use trying to fool ourselves because we know where we're at. So God, I pray that, that you would help us to ignore the lie and the whisper that Satan might be whispering in our ear right now to say that we don't need to respond. We don't need to come to Jesus because we're fine. Everything will work out just fine. God, I pray that you would help us to ignore that and that we would heed to the movement of your spirit. God, because as we sang, only you can save. And it's in you that we find life and peace and joy and hope. So God, in this time of invitation, as we take time to reflect on maybe where we're at and, and maybe how we need to respond, God, I pray that, that you would begin even now working in us. You would work in us a desire to be in your word simply because we want you, because we know that you just want us. And God, I'm thankful that you're a God who desires mercy and not sacrifice, because you could have made things to be however you wanted them, and you chose and designed things to focus on relationship between us and you. So God, be with us now as we, as we reflect and respond and continue to worship you through this time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.